Okay, y'all, so content warning. We say fuck a lot. So just if that wasn't enough of a warning for you, uh, content warning, just content warning in general. How's that? Oh, so we talk about death and murder and stuff. Oh, yeah, blood and guts and death and murder and religion and weird shit. Yeah, it can get nasty. Mm-hmm. He'll be sure to warn you if there's anything especially bad ahead of time. <laughs> Hey folks, my name's Nathan. I'm Kayla. Kelly. And this is The Human Exception. It's our plan to regale you with all things famous. And infamous. Weird things like conspiracies, murder, talking animals. Badasses in history. Bad people in history. And cults. Oh, religion too. You know, the usual stuff. Welcome to our first episode. We hope you stick around. And I'm going to push the record leading button. Fuck you, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> Had to get that right. out there. We haven't said it on Chef's Night, and I've been feeling very lonely. True. <laughs> All right. I guess so. <laughs> welcome to our first official episode of The Human Exception. Yay. Whee! We need to find a way to, like, introduce this thing. To entrer the podcast? <laughs> that. We talk about weird stuff, and that's why we're here. We talk about weird mm -hmm. shit. Who's going first? Oh, shit. I went first last time. Okay. Well, I guess okay. I can go first. Then. Yeah. Okay. I'll go second, then. Hell yeah. We'll rotate. Rotation. Right. Rotate. We're going to talk about monuments. Or just one in particular. Big stone dicks. Big stone. <laughs> you know what? That is actually kind of accurate. But not in the literal sense. Because uh, <laughs> um, y'all love your monuments down there. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, but I think it's a uh, where we're gonna where we're gonna start with this before we get into like the small little bit of uh, of the actual stuff is um, the before times. Um, the before times? The before times. Basically, Mount Rushmore. Built in uh, South Dakota in what is referred to as the Black Hills. So the Black Hills was an important area for the uh, local indigenous folks for a long time, actually, uh, from the Lakota Sioux. Uh, so back in the 1800s, uh, the late 1800s, so 1868, there was a treaty signed uh, with the U.S. government and the local Sioux people giving them the Black Hills uh, basically in perpetuity. So as soon as we sign this, this is yours, away we go. Um, and as is... I would say it, it seems like a regular occurring thing uh, that only lasted about six years before the land was taken back um, and they were forced out. 
now the reason for this was because there was gold that was found in the area uh, in the Black Hills. And the U.S. was like, oh, well, you know what? We said this land was yours permanently, but you know what? We didn't we didn't say whether if it was going to make us money or not, whether we could take it back, basically. Um, so in 78, uh, a couple of explorers kind of rolled into the Black Hills, realized that there was gold in the area. As such, they obviously had it out with uh, with the local indigenous people. And then, you know, as as history likes to tell us, uh, eventually the U.S. government uh, won and was able to claim their land, unfortunately, like the Battle of Wounded Knee, um, things like that, uh, were all part of this sort of reclamation that the government tried to uh, do and eventually succeeded in. Um, years later they would mine these mountains for basically everything that they had, uh, and this land would not be returned to the Sioux people. Rolling into the early 1900s is when people decided that we're going to start building monuments. And Mount Rushmore was sort of slated as, as the place for the the sculpture that you guys obviously know now is as Mount Rushmore. It wasn't previously known as Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore was actually named after basically just a just a wealthy investor, uh, Charles E. Rushmore, uh, who basically visited the area regularly when it came to uh, prospecting and hunting. Um, and it was basically a joke uh, that he was like, ah, I just come here so often we should just name this mountain after myself. Eventually, in June of 1930, it became Mount Rushmore. Now, in the earlier days of the sculpting, the artist, his name was Gutzon Borglum. He was commissioned by the government to sculpt uh, what they considered the, uh, the four, I guess, most important, most influential American presidents, uh, which obviously would have been George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Jefferson, uh, Jefferson <laughs> Theodore Roosevelt, and Abraham Lincoln. Um, basically to represent the first 130 years of American history. And Borglum basically decided that, you know what, these are the four presidents that uh, had the most influential role in uh, preserving the republic, expanding its territory, um, and so on. Uh, basically like the, our, our American fathers is kind of how he was describing it. Um, so he had himself, including his son and 400 workers to carve these four faces into this, uh, into this mountain. Uh, originally his design was meant to be head to waist it wasn't just supposed to be four heads it was supposed to be basically from the waist up of all four of these presidents carved into this mountain unfortunately Gutzon only survived through 14 years of the construction um he he passed in 41 
and his son took over the the rest of it. Um, interestingly enough, his his original vision was to have all four heads and upper bodies of the presidents, as well as sort of like a standing stone structure in behind them that told a story of like the nine key moments in like the first 130 years of America's life, um, of America's being. And he had also intended that within this sort of backsplash that there would be a secret room. Um, maybe not so secret, but it would be a room that would be accessible to people to be able to read about these four gentlemen and to learn about America and everything up until that point. So eventually <laughs> he was told that, okay, you just have to keep it to the heads. Um, <laughs> the bodies are too much. It's going to cost us too much money. That extravagant backdrop that you want to do, again, too much money. Um, however, he was given the AOK to build this back room, as it were, uh, this hidden room. Now, when he died, construction kind of just dropped off. Uh, the faces were pretty much done. Um, and it, things didn't really progress past that. Uh, however, in 1990, work began again to finish off that back room that uh, that he had, that we just discussed. So what this was was it was supposed to be uh, a hall of record. I'm going to paste this in our Discord here. I was going to say other visual aids. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah! I've seen this before. Right. Okay. Yep. So in behind where the faces are, there is a small like canyon entrance. Uh, and it, it's natural, as you can see, it's pretty naturally formed. But in sort of the flat area of this canyon, uh, just behind like the brow line, as a lot of people say, of uh, of Lincoln's face, is this massive door. And this was completed in 1990. Now, uh, Gutsan's original idea for this room was, well, this is going to be the Hall of Records. We're going to have uh, stuff on the four presidents out there. We're going to have the nine most significant things. Was um, it supposed to be public or was it going to be like a private thing? As far as I understand, people were supposed to be able to come up and see the main hall. They were, and so on the walls, there was supposed to be history inscribed in the walls, but like a copy of the Constitution and like the Charter of Rights and stuff specifically to these folks was supposed to be hidden away. Um, for anyone who would come beyond uh, the existence of America and see what they were all about. This gets completed. There is a plaque that is set up 
uh, in his honor. And you can actually see that right in the doorway there, uh, that little little brownish box. Um, oh, yeah. That is a that is a marble plaque. Um, that has uh, one of Gutsan's quotes in there, and I don't have it on hand because I am a bad person. Um, but it is it is sort of the history of of what he of what he wanted to do. Um, now, in in 1990, when they finished this thing, what they had done is they didn't actually inscribe anything on the walls. They had just finished digging deeper in. And they had a teak box that they put, uh, like, sort of the histories of each of the four presidents in. Uh, they put a copy of the of the Constitution, um, and I believe the Charter of Rights in there. And then they sealed it in a titanium box, and then they sealed the uh, sorry in a titanium uh, safe. And then they sealed the door with a giant stone slab. Yes. I remember this. Holy shit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> if Americans do anything, they do it weird, wrong, and <laughs> to the nth degree. Yeah. So the it's whole true. thing <laughs> was very, like, it, it just felt weird. Uh, so there's there are some like conspiracy theories around like what is in there or like what's actually in uh, Mount Rushmore. There's not a lot. Oddly enough, like Mount Rushmore is one of the things where I couldn't figure anything weird out about it. Like the weirdest thing was that they're like, yeah, you know what? We have this unfinished hallway and we're just going to finish it off and like throw a titanium vault in there and fucking cover it up like Jesus done. <laughs> like big stone slab. Shroud of Turin, big stone slab. It's fine. Yeah. And Lincoln will rise again. Like <laughs> Oh god, I hope not. Oh my god. And so one of the one of the big ones and I mean there wasn't a lot of information on it, but one of the one of the things that they that one of the conspiracies out there that made me instantly think of uh, of that movie from years and years and years ago, uh, Team America, was that there is a military base inside of Mount Rushmore that is accessible somehow, somewhere that is hidden behind the faces of the presidents within the mountain. And like, after that, there's not a whole heck of a lot. It's just nothing. But yeah, like the whole the whole thing around America giving the land away, or well, not giving the land away, but promising the land, being like, we're going to take it back now, and then building faces of these people who are part of this thing, which seems really, it's super scummy. Um, Capitalism! <laughs> oh yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> See, now for the listeners, I can say this because I am an American and I am so very sorry. But yeah, I, it, yeah. there wasn't a lot on, right. on it. Um, it's weird. It, it yeah, is a little bit weird. Think. But yeah, it's weird. So maybe that means there really is a conspiracy there. You know, it's just something we completely overlooked because it was right in our faces. Maybe. The Illuminati. <laughs> Everything is the Illuminati. 
<laughs> New World Order. <laughs> New World Order. I am Alex Jones. <laughs> Are we eyes actually like triangles? Mm. Mm. See, now I'm looking at pictures and it's weird because I'm looking like you're looking right up his nostrils and you're like, what the fuck, buddy? Seriously, calm down. <laughs> Mount Red, hold on, hold on. I'm very curious what happens if I put into the Google machine Mount Rushmore con beer construction deaths. That's cool. Construction mm-hmm. deaths. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That one was, that's bad. Yeah, a lot of people fell, unfortunately. A lot um, of people fell. <laughs> Hidden Cave. 12 incredible secrets about Mount Rushmore in South Dakota. There's uh-huh. a secret room behind Mount Rushmore. Okay. Oh, God. Okay. What's <laughs> inside? Mount Rushmore's not so secret chamber. It's a shitty time capsule. I can tell you that right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the worst time capsule ever. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. Mount Rushmore controversy. Give me, give me the weirdest fucking shit. I mean, of course, our now president decided that he wanted his own face on Mount Rushmore. And when he told the South Dakota governor this, uh, she said, what? And gave him a tiny replica. And he was like, no, I seriously want my face on Mount Rushmore. I'm just going to warn anyone if anyone's a Trump supporter is listening to this, you can get the fuck out. You're going to have a bad time if you're a Trump supporter listening yeah. to the show. Bad time. Oh, buddy, because I am a progressive socialist and we have two Canadians. We're Canadian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Y'all are fucked. Get out. Um, yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. But there was a, uh, uh, oh, God, what was that? Was it the Sioux who are... Mm-hmm. Calling for the removal of the the monument. Uh, I would expect that that was probably the case, considering it is rightfully their land. It is their land, and we are fucking awful. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know how else to put that. <laughs> so I found I found a Reddit article which didn't have a whole heck of a lot in it, but all they were all they're saying is the scientific. PC version of the story is that the creator of the faces lost funding halfway through the creation and the US government restricted expenditures. Um, <laughs> and mm. like, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. The, but like, this guy got $250,000 to, to build this thing in the early 1900s. That's a lot of fucking money. It's a stupid amount of money. Yeah. Like, Yeah. Anyway, um, there are some people that are like, well, maybe there's some other like secret extraterrestrial sweet tech stuff that's hidden in there too. And I'm like, all right, okay, that's totally possible, but that's not nearly as exciting as, and you don't have any information. So goodbye. <laughs> ah, that's my favorite thing ever. And no. <laughs> All right, you guys ready to learn about Brittany Murphy? <laughs> See, I was trying to explain this earlier to my husband, and I was like, I don't know all the details. And he goes, okay. <laughs> He's like, why is this a thing? You why all know why this is-, is a thing, and you could tell him after this. <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to learn. <laughs> hey, it's Kayla. I hope you're enjoying our first episode so far. 
human exception kind of started out as a joke between Hallie, Nathan, and I, but then we ended up doing it. Kind of just gave us something else to focus on in these crazy times, and we were already prone to falling down weird rabbit holes on the internet, so, you know, might as well put all that effort and obsession towards something, right? Really excited to be here. We'd want to give out a huge thank you to Jack Reed, who made our intro music and the mid-episode music that you just heard. If you're familiar with DMTK Chefsnet, you may recognize him from there. As for Nathan Halley and I, uh, Nathan and I are the producers, hosts, GMs, players of the DM's Test Kitchen, DMTK Chef's Night, and the soon-to-be-released DMTK Feast or Famine. Halley is also a guest on DMTK Chef's Night. Uh, these are tabletop podcasts where we play like Dungeons & Dragons and things like that and try and sell, tell a story. Halley also runs a charity stream under Terrible Party, as well as a podcast where she is the G- GM. You can find all our contact information, additional information about these episodes, including our sources, at thehumanexception.com. And you can also hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Again, The Human Exception is how you'll find us. If you ever have any ideas for the show, some weird conspiracies or stories that you want us to look into or tell, please hit us up either through the website or one of our social medias, or you, or you can email us at thehumanexception at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of the show. All right. So, um, December 19th, 2009, Brittany Murphy and her husband, Simon Mojack, are watching movies in bed, eating Thai takeout, and just hanging out in their Hollywood homes. She hasn't been feeling very good, but that's why they stayed in that night. They live at this house with her mom, Sharon, and she's been sick for about the last week. But then 8 a.m. the next day, the L.A. Fire Department responded to a 911 call where Brittany had collapsed in the bathroom and was found by her mother. Firefighters arrived and they found her just barely alive and brought her to the nearest uh, medical center. And then she was pronounced dead at 10.04, going into cardiac arrest. So Ed Winter, the assistant chief of L.A. County, uh, who liked to do celebrity autopsies like Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston, uh, was the one who did her autopsy. And in his initial findings, the death seemed natural. But in February, the toxicology report returned with the official cause of death was listed as acute pneumonia with secondary factors of anemia and multiple drug intoxication caused by over-the-counter drugs. The medication was most likely the treatment for like the flu-like symptoms that she'd been dealing with, and they suspected that her anemia was attributed to her heavy periods, a common factor among women and something that both her and her mom shared. So her death just appeared to be an accident. But then, almost exactly five months later, they were called to the house again to find her husband, Simon Monjack, dead. Ed Winter also performed that autopsy. The results were pneumonia, anemia, and drug intoxication. How can two out of three people in one house die of the same cause five months apart? (laughs) See, now my hackles are all up because I'm like, I forgot about the husband thing, and that makes me like, what the fuck? Right? It's just weird. Like, if it was just just her, I don't think, like, anyone would have questioned it. But with him dying the exact same way, it's like, Mm. he died from anemia when her anemia was attributed to her period so why would where does his, his anemia come from yeah mm-hmm. so Brittany murphy if you don't know who she is um she was 32 at the time of her death um her first big hit was clueless where she played ty um she also did movies like eight mile girl interrupted uptown girls and my personal favorite she was in all 13 seasons of king of the hill 
And uh, yeah, so she moved to Hollywood when she was 14. She could sing, she could dance, she could act, and all she ever wanted to do was entertain. So her mom sold everything and they moved to Hollywood and just couch surfed and lived in hotels until she started making money, essentially. In 2003, she bought her first house. So this was the one that she would end up dying in. And then in 2005, her career began to slow down. Um, she began to only work on B-movies, independent films, and then it just kept going slower and slower. No one could really understand what happened to her career. Of course, her being a young and up-and-coming star, there was tons of rumors that, you know, she was anorexic because of how thin she'd become, but also that she had, like, a drug problem. And she repeatedly denied these accusations, but the rumors, as is Hollywood, just kept going. Then out of nowhere, in 2007, she married Simon Monjack, a screenwriter from England, and nothing like any of her previous dates, which included Ashton Kutcher and Eminem. Hollywood began to see her less and less, and the rumors got stranger. And in 2009, she died. It struck everything by, everyone by surprise. Had her alleged drug problem finally caught up with her? It had only been a couple months since Michael Jackson had passed. Had she been sick? Did she starve herself? Or was her paranoia that she was being followed and under surveillance actually founded in reality? Or did it have something to do with her husband, which Hollywood seemed to loathe? So we're going to the theories. There's a bunch of them. I'm going to kind of like hammer out of the uh, easy ones right away just so we can write them off so one of one of the easy ones is the house is cursed so it's a, she purchased the house in 2003 it's an 8,000 square foot Hollywood mansion that used to belong to Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake they are quoted as saying that the house is spooky as fuck where Monjack says that Murphy absolutely hated the house and thought it was unlucky and like it would frequently ask if they could stay at a hotel or something at night instead of going back to the house which he was like that's stupid we have a 10,000 square foot home let's just go home Holy um, shit. So right? was this house responsible for uh, uh-huh. for Britney's breakup? Is this what's going on? Well, that's that's one of these theories. <laughs> this one's very, very loosely supported. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, in, in 2010, uh, 2009, they were talking about moving the, the following year to New York, all three of them, together, because, you know, that's what you do. And, um, of obviously, then Britt died, and then in 2010, Simon died, so it was just up to Sharon that was left. So she tried to sell the house and finally got rid of it in 2011. In the last couple of weeks of her owning the house, she moved into a hotel until it sold. Is there, you know, oh. reasoning behind that, or is it just because? This is a giant fucking house that you don't want to be in by yourself with a tiny dog. Um, the new owners completely raised the house to the ground and rebuilt it. Was that because that it was cursed? If you want to find out yourself, the house is available for rent for $75,000 a month. Just pocket change. Wait, 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 wait. Did you just say $75,000? Yeah. It got upgraded from 8,000 square feet to 10,000 square feet, if that's better. <laughs> oh my god, that's more than I make in a year. Holy shit. Like, right? Jesus, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Cursed House, not really much behind it. Like, really... You know, I only found one place where there's a quote that Britney Spears and Timberlake said that they found it spooky as fuck. I never was able to find anything else about that house. Though Britney Spears was, there's a whole thing of another house that Britney Spears <laughs> lived in that was apparently haunted. So we'll find out that when we do Britney Spears. <laughs> um, She's being followed by ghosts. It's a ghost! Obviously. All right. So one of the theories is mold. So mm. during Brit's um, autopsy, there was granulomas and inflammation in her lungs, which is often tined, tied to fungal infections. So while they're waiting for the toxicology report, the coroner suggested that maybe they get some things tested. 
um, which, you know, totally plausible. Um, in 2006, Britt had filed a suit against the construction company for using shoddy materials, which had caused persistent leaks. And uh, mold would explain a lot of their symptoms. But two months prior, a well-respected agency had inspected the house and found nothing. And the coroner would later agree that this finding, the finding had no indication that there was mold as a factor. So mold didn't seem to be responsible at all for what happened to her. Anorexia. So like we said, people saw her getting thinner over time um, and thought that, yeah, was she having an eating disorder? Was it related to drugs? You know, everybody was sick thin in the 90s and the 2000s. It was just a thing. One of the things that was being said was that she was using cocaine to get thin, which she refuted by saying, I've never tried it in my life. I've never even seen it. I c- it couldn't be further from the truth. I'm the same size that I was in Clueless. It's just that the weight on your face changes as you grow older. This is my body and I'm proud of it and I'm healthy. Which is fair because she was like 15 when she was in Clueless. So, you know, everyone has that bit of a baby face look before they kind of grow mm-hmm. up. But she was incredibly thin in the last years of her life. So wow, there's something there. Obviously, so cocaine will elicit drugs. So drugs at that time were super common in Hollywood. Every producer, talent, scout, showrunner would just hand them out like candy. Like you go to a Hollywood party and drugs would just be everywhere. Um, it's not like that today anymore. Apparently, it's, it's a lot more chill. But yeah, back then, everyone was, you know, doing coke in the bathroom and popping E like is going out of style. And while her family and stuff all claimed like, no, she never did hard drugs. um, There's so, so many allegations that said the opposite. Um, Like people within the industry saying that, oh, she's like a space cadet and totally out of it on set. Or one guy who said that like, oh, no, well, she didn't do any drugs while at work, but she liked to smoke crack with her husband off off set. So the irony of this is that, uh, as Simon insisted, is that Brittany literally could not do drugs. She had a heart murmur. So illegal drugs could endanger her life. And that fear, Sharon, her mother said, made it impossible for Brittany to do cocaine or any other stimulant. Okay. Yeah. So the autopsy would support this. No illegal drugs or alcohol were found in the home or the bodies of either her or her spouse. So there wasn't even alcohol in the house. Like she barely drank. Like her mom said, like she'd have a glass of champagne of champagne on the new year. And like, you know, that's it. But of course there's different kinds of drugs. So illicit yeah. drugs doesn't seem like it, but prescription drugs. And this is a, uh, this is fun. When the uh, investigators came to the house, obviously, you know, they take the body and they do a survey to see if there's anything that could have caused it. They found 90 pres- prescription <gasps> bottles in the bedroom. Holy shit. Um, Holy a lot of these were empty. Fuck. Some of them dated as far back to as 2010 or two, uh, 2000. Like some of these were really old. You know, of the 90 bottles, only seven were found in her name. The rest were in her husband's name, her mom's name, or aliases. Uh, mm. mm-hmm. So obviously the investigators noticed the weird names and had to check it out. Um, and ended up finding out that they'd been going to multiple pharmacies to get their stuff like it began they began to suspect that they were doctor shopping which is like going to multiple doctors and getting multiple prescriptions and they went to talk to one of the pharmacies that had cut them off four months prior the pharmacy said that they cut them off because you know they were taking way too much drugs and they were worried someone was going to die oh my god but monjack says that the family's the one that actually cut them off and he said that they used aliases as privacy so that people wouldn't know that it was for them and that most of the drugs were him and Sharon, because both of them were sick. 
Now, when you look at the drugs that were her, in her name, there were things like painkillers, um, anxiety and depression drugs, migraine prevention, anti-inflammatories, and an antibiotic for her pneumonia. So nothing too crazy there. So it was kind of weird how much um, pain, pain meds that she had. But at the end of the day, uh, meds were not the primary cause of her death, but they were a factor. So if we take a look at her health, she was relatively health, healthy for the most part. Her family said that she was the healthiest one in the house, which is very true. But she had a couple of things, conditions that she dealt with. So in her teens, she was uh, diagnosed with a mitral valve prolapse. So that was what caused her heart uh, murmur. And this is a very common condition, like 2% two, 2 of the population have it, but there are varying levels of severity. Like most people who have it may not even know they ever had it, but for her, she had like some more severe side effects like fatigue, dizziness, and a regular heartbeat. And she took medication for this. In 1995, she was in a terrible car accident, which dislodged her jar, jaw, cracked her ribs, and damaged her back. Oh. And this left her with jaw oh. pain for the rest of her life. Oh and that's what the pain meds are for. Oh. And as we said before, she had incredibly severe periods with really painful cramps and big mood shifts. The same thing that her mama had as well. So she had meds for that. She had meds to balance her mood during that time and meds to help deal with the cramps. Shit. And when you're that small, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. when you're that petite of frame, that really takes it out of you. Holy shit. Yeah. She was five foot two and 150 pounds when she died. <laughs> 115 pounds. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, she was like, she was tiny. Tiny. Now, um, there was one thing here that, that this, this is really conflicting, is that she had seizures. Whether or not she actually had seizures, she had medication for it, but her husband had seizures, and there's points where they said that this seizure medication that she had, her name was actually for him. So, did she have seizures or not? I don't know, because it's the only ever reference to her having seizures is this the seizure that she had in Detroit while filming Eight Mile. What? That's yeah. It's weird, but yeah, she other than that, she was fairly healthy. Mm. Um, but her health had been bad for the last couple months, and one of her last roles, the producer said that she never ate, and all she did was drink coffee all day and spent hours in the washroom, causing a lot of issues in the shoot with her being late or not necessarily being coherent sometimes. The coroner said that Murphy visited her doctor two months before and they had spoken with him as well. And the weekend that she passed away, Sharon and Simon were also experiencing flu-like symptoms. So maybe Brittany just thought that she was going to get better if she waited a couple more days and just rested. And, and that's probably what happened is they didn't think it was a big deal. So a month and a half before her death, Britt and her family had gone to Puerto Rico to shoot a film called The Caller. Two weeks later, she no longer had the job. The reasons why vary. Her rep said that Murphy and the production crew had a creative differences and they mutually parted. Her husband said that she refused to complete the film when she discovered it was a horror movie, a genre that she really didn't like. But according to The Hollywood Reporter, there was a different story. On the first day of the shoot, Monjack showed up on set drunk and demanding changes and was fighting with the locals. The producers had to sit, the producers told her to send him away, but she refused, so they fired her. The story follows that after she was fired, the family decided to stay in Puerto Rico for a mini vacation, and Monjack had his lawyers intimidate the production into stating that the parting was mutual and vehemently denies that the story had happened at all. So when you look at the official statements, it says that this was a mutual parting, and that was it. Mm. Now, why does this matter? Well, 
this is where Simon and Sharon got a staph infection. They would return home and Sharon and Monjack would recover, but Britt would then get sick. Now, where Britt's health is pretty straightforward for the most part, Monjack, on the other hand, is an entirely different story and not one that I have hours to tell. Well, it could be argued that Britt may not have been taking a dangerous amount of prescription drugs. When it came to Monjack, no one denies his abusive pills, even himself. In a quote from the coroner, my feeling was that it was inevitable that Monjack was at some point going to die, either because of overusing or his body just couldn't take it anymore. When his mother found out about the prescription, she was shocked, having been so sure he wasn't using drugs before. Now, why was he using drugs? Well, there was a variety of claims that he was at. Apparently, he was beaten up in jail in 2007 when he was in jail for nine days and had knee pain. So had to take, uh, take painkillers for that, which then caused him heart palpitations, which, uh, you know, he had a heart issue, obviously. So he was taking heart meds. And then in 2009, he fell off a ladder in L.A., which gave him seizures due to brain tumors. And before his death, he claimed that he needed open heart surgery. But an EKG shortly before his death said his heart was a little enlarged, but was totally fine. What? Hmm. A month prior to Britt's death and on the plane ride back to L.A. from Puerto Rico, he had a severe asthma attack and was rushed to the hospital as he'd been completely delusional and incoherent. All the symptoms exhibited are typical of those that are addicted to pills and alcohol. These kind of attacks occur within two hours past the la- or as early as two hours after the last drink or pill. The flight was seven hours long. Wow. Hmm. Now, talking to his mom, there's all sorts of things that come up then. His mom was super skeptical about the seizures. And then she admitted that she and many believed he had developed Munchausen syndrome. So Munchausen syndrome is like a hypochondriac in a way. You think you're sick and stuff, but you'll often go through other measures to make the illness real. So like he took the painkillers, he got heart palpitations. So in his mind, he had a heart issue. So he started taking heart drugs. He'd never gone to a doctor about so- his heart. And yet he had a, all those prescriptions. I was going to say, so someone someone was getting him those pills. Damn. So the majority of the prescri- prescriptions was from one doctor that treated the whole family. And um, the police investigated him, but I guess nothing came out of it. He's still practicing today and there's not a blemish on his record. What? So what we know about Monjack's true state of health is, well, he was definitely abusing prescription drugs at the very least. Um, he was quite overweight, did little exercise, and his diet really left a lot to be desired. He had issues with breathing and was reliant on an oxygen machine when he slept, or at least that's what we think. And, um, this, he believed he had a bunch of other issues that we have no evidence of that he ever had. That's crazy. His health alone is enough to, like, think that his death might have been somewhat normal and unexpected. Mm-hmm. Next theory. The government. You could not have a conspiracy theory without the government getting involved at some point. New World Order! The military! Obviously. But what about the Russians? The Russians! So there is one theory that says that Britt wasn't home the night before her death. Um, A phone call to Britt's estranged father, Angelo Bertolotti, told him that she wasn't in the country and that she was with bankers in Moscow. Angelo says this never happened and is total bullshit. Oh my god. But there are people that believe it. (laughs) 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 Nate's reaction. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, so the government. <laughs> so, um, quote from Mom Jack's mother. I believe that lots of things were being covered up and that should not have been covered up. I do know that my son died unnecessarily in circumstances that are very, very suspect. And at the funeral in L.A., Sharon insisted on going to the service in an armored car and there were security guards with guns Ooh. at a funeral. Mm. So, enter Julia Davis. Do you know this name? No. What? All right. So, she's known to some as a government whistleblower and to Homeland Security, she is known as a domestic terrorist. So, she was a Customs and Borders Protection Agent that joined um, shortly after 9-11. Yeah, and she worked at one of the busiest land border crossings, crossings in the world, which is between San Diego and Tijuana. Which is dealing with 300,000 300, commuters a day. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A lot. So, in 2004, um, she noticed 23 aliens from countries, from countries of special interest were being processed, processed in a period of 10 hours. She did some digging and found other discrepancies and many immigrant reports where this information was not properly recorded. She even saw an assistant port director instructing another agent to falsify information. She filed a report and a few weeks later, in a press briefing, a reporter asked the CBP commissioner about the report. From there, the government was out to get her. Davis's daughter knew Murphy, and when Murphy heard about the government's onslaught against Davis, Murphy volunteered to be a witness in the case and speak out against the government. Davis suspects the Brit that Murphy's bravery is what got her killed, and Davis became one of her top advocates against rumors about her drug abuse and paranoia. She even made a documentary in which uh, there's a segment on Murphy. The film is called Top Priority, The Terror Within. On the surface, she seems pretty reliable, but uh, turns out that Davis was actually under investigation, several investigations. Nearly all of her investigations and filings turned out to be falsifications. And Davis had absolutely no proof to, to back any of it up. Well, there was one filing which she did win on, which was a sexual harassment claim against her old boss. So you can't say they're completely biased against her. Um, she won that case. Not that it really did her any good, because Davis was from the Ukraine. So when the government started to investigate her claims, they were surprised to find out that her marriage was a fraud. She had paid her then friend $10,000 to get married so she could stay in the country. Huh. So she lied about that. Did she even know Murphy? According to Sharon, Davis did try to contact Brittany through her agent, but all she got was a letter from the agent, from the agent which they have, telling Davis that the client knew nothing about her claims and would not meet her. Oh my God. So she'd never met her. They didn't know each other at all. Apparently, Davis just simply decided to use the star to like draw more attention to her story. Mm -hmm. And I probably should have told you from the beginning when talking about her is that she's a freaking star on Alex Jones' show. Alex Jones' show. Oh. Yes! Jeez. I thought their name sounded familiar! <laughs> I was wondering if you'd know it. <laughs> I am obsessed, but I, I thought it sounded, but it's just like, it's such a, it's like Smith, right? It's such a. Yeah. Fuck! It's that bitch! Okay! <laughs> what up? Yeah, so she went in this whole thing saying that, you know, Murphy was killed to protect her, essentially. New World Order, the chai She made a doc She made a fucking documentary yes! about it. Yes! <laughs> the chai did oh. it! Oh my god! Alright. Um, now, the last of the um, more rather out there theories is... Well, it's for decades, anomalous shadows loomed over Hollywood. Who could make or break any young star? And his favorite targets were women. 
His reign of terror was only talked about in whispers until a few years ago when the women he'd harmed began to stand no, up and say, on. me too. Fuck. So this theory would have held any weight at all when Brittany died, just because mm. no one was talking about Harvey in this way. And, um, you know, it's just everything was hush hush at that point. But now, you know, knowing what we know now, it's definitely interesting and is why it's worth mentioning. Because um, Harvey Weinstein ruled over Hollywood during the last, like, three decades. And um, if we look back now, many of the actresses that had been marked difficult or crazy are the ones that were blackballed by Weinstein and came up and said, me too. So, it's all for just not doing what he wanted or threatening to expose him. So we're left wondering what would Brit had to say about him if she were still around today. It's worth considering because, like, suddenly her career just took a nosedive. Mm-hmm. There was this perception that Weinstein didn't like Murphy and Monjack near the end, and everything just shifted and so she started losing roles. Now, there's two parts to this theory. Part one being that Weinstein blackballed Brit, sending her into a downward spiral. The second and more damning part is that he was the responsible for Brit and Monjack's death. It's a little more of a stretch, but we know that Weinstein has ex-spies on his payroll throughout the years. As for if he had these kind of bodies available back in 2009, it's hard to say. I couldn't find any solid information dated back that far. But we know that Weinstein has strong-armed many women into silence at that time. Selma Hayek came out in 2018 about the years of abuse that she had endured at his hands. In particular, a case in 2002 on the set of Frida, where he said, I will kill you, don't think that I can't. Mm. All because she declined his sexual advances. Mm. Similar threats have been reported by many stars, but not just that, his employees. And there's this one case, and he's, and he's, it's not just he's declaring these things when he's pissed off. You know, there was an email thread where he threatened to kill Jennifer Aniston in, in an email to his publicist. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, the legs on this obviously are not very strong, but it's, it is worth considering, and I wouldn't be surprised if he had blackballed her. What the fuck? Thoughts? That piece of shit. <laughs> and now we're gonna get into the good stuff. Ew, you already gave me Alex Jones. I'm like, what up? <laughs> <laughs> so, time to talk about murder. Murder. Yeah, it's an alien. 